welcome back to ZSP for season two. I'll admit, today's episode is a bit late. It's late to launch, but the important thing is, well, getting going. So, so they say. I hadn't planned on doing this in seasons. In fact, I didn't have much planned past episode one last year, which makes me even more grateful that the Missouri State Senate Minority Caucuses Policy Director, it's a mouthful, Don Thalhuber joined ZSP to kick this season off, season two, discussing our favorite albums of 2021 and what we can expect from the Missouri legislature. Just like last year's list, I've created the ZSP Z-List 2021 playlist on Spotify. The link is in the show notes, um, but that has my favorite track from my favorite albums of the year. So um, I forget how many albums. I believe over 40 uh, albums are represented. But if you haven't, give it a listen because Don and I will actually uh, run down our top 10 albums of last year and uh, you might be able to kind of go back and forth and see what we're talking about but be sure to connect with me at the end of the show uh, where I'll reveal my favorite track of the year Welcome back to uh, ZSP. Uh, we're going to start the season off the way we did last season. I, I, I like this. Uh, thank you for help making this possible. I have Don, DJ, Donnie, T, uh, Thal Huber here. Uh, Don is uh, a good friend of mine from my Senate days and is the uh, the uh, policy director for the Missouri Democrats in the Missouri State Senate. Uh, so, Don, welcome back to ZSP. Thanks for making this an annual thing. Ah, thanks for having me, Zach. I really, I really enjoyed doing this, and I thought it was fun last year. So I'm glad we're starting off this year right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and the whole thought process behind this was just the annual list. And I think I mentioned this last year, but having a list, like you, you were somebody that actually. Uh, what was the reason why I ended up starting a list? I I I love music. Listen to music. Never thought to just list out all the stuff that I listened to throughout the year. How long have you been making your kind of annual list, if you will, of your favorite music? I'm sure you have other media. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing this kind of since I was a little kid. Like I found a notebook from the eighties, which I had handwritten my favorite songs of the year. And, um, but I've been doing this, you know, as long as I can remember. Cause I also, I mean, I, I buy a lot of music, um, like physical media too. I mean, I don't typically download. So for me, it's a, it's a way to, I mean, I, I bring in by, you know, at least a hundred records a year or probably, you know, closer to 200. And it's a way for me to kind of categorize them, think about them. And also it gives me some context for later. Cause I'll look back at a list I made five years ago and I'll be like, man, I was really off. I really overliked some of these records that didn't age well, or man, I was really, I didn't really give some albums credit that I should have. Maybe I put them down at 60 when they really should have been up in the top 10. So it's almost like a redraft, right? Well, it, it helps you kind of for perspective, you know, just kind of looking back and saying, what, what, what do I overemphasize maybe on initial listen that maybe I'm, maybe I should be listening more, you know, several repeat several times. I might get more out of some of these artists. Um, and over time, you just learn more and think more. And some artists, like I said, some artists 
just do better over time. They, some artists, you know, that they just don't stand up. Well, you listen to a, someone you really liked 10 years ago and you might be like, what was I thinking? Like, this sounds so dated. It sounds, the production sounds really like off or, you know, whatever, for whatever reason. Um, and some of the stuff I was like, man, like I really should have listened to this record more. I bought it and listened to it a couple of times, but I never, I should have listened to it way more than I did. So it kind of helps me with context for all the media and all the music I buy. I do look back more than I should, like a couple of times a year, I look back on old lists just to kind of, if I'm thinking about what haven't I listened to in a while, I might see a couple of albums that I put in my top 10 back in 2014 that I haven't spun in a while. And I'm really glad I did almost all the time. Well, right. Yeah. What's the, what's an album that you have looked back on that you have, um, you Man, it was, this has happened to me. The second Shabazz palaces album. Um, I really like it. And I mm-hmm. think it's, I really, it, I think it's, and I liked it back then too. Um, but Shabazz palaces is the guy from diggable planets. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're from the night, if you're old, like me, the diggable planets were very important. Um, I like, like I said, I liked it at the time, but now I think it's even better. It's aged super well. Hey, so you don't, you uh, don't so, think you put it high enough on your, on your list. The year. I think I maybe had it like number five and I should have had a number one, you know, like <laughs> okay. something like that. Yeah. I mean, it just one of those things where some of the, th- some things just sound better later and some things sound worse with yeah, time. That, you know? That's true. I'm, I'm hoping that none of my picks from this year kind of, uh, kind of hitting that ladder section of like, yeah, that doesn't, but I will say I was uh, driving. Happens, yeah, that's true. That's true. I was driving back from, um, a wedding in St. Louis and I was very happy that one thing I did last year in conjunction with the show. And I did again this year was create a, uh, a playlist of just the songs that made me go, yeah, that's on the list. Uh, so I put those number ones on a playlist and my 2020 list wasn't too, wasn't terrible. There were a few that I was like, eh, this doesn't, <laughs> I'm not sure I like that one as much, but, uh, I did it again for this year. Um, and check it out, check out the, um, playlist of just the top ones. After we talk about, uh, our music done. I do want to just, since I got you here, talk, talk about, we got a new uh, year coming up, new legislative year. Of course, this is a normal conversation. However, comment, this is also midterms. And so we're going to see all sorts of um, uh, n- new creative ways to um, get ourselves out in front of people as we run. And so we can kind of talk about that. And I say the royal we, but the legislature, if I, if I understand correctly by most accounts, is the largest amount of um, electeds anticipated or have already de- uh, saying that they're going to declare uh, for running for office, a higher office than they're already currently. Yeah, it seems that way just in the Senate. I don't know the obviously I know the Senate oh, really. Yes, well. absolutely. Oh, I got the house. I got the house numbers, but we'll we'll get to that. Uh <laughs> I don't know about the house. But the Senate, like, yeah, man. I mean, there's a ton of people running for Congress. Our pro tem thinks he's running for the US mm-hmm. Senate, which yeah. is hilarious. But um uh, but you know, so yeah, there's a lot of uh people aspiring, and then you know, it's just whatever attention they can get. You know, it doesn't matter, good, bad, or ugly. That's what they yeah, want. On whichever so, side, whomever's party, that's the yeah. that's the name they get. So it's gonna be a crazy. Yeah, you could be a clown on yeah. both sides to get the attention. You know, so yeah, we're gonna get a lot of that, and also, and we'll get into this later. But we haven't drawn our congressional maps yet either, and that that's a whole other discussion. That's gonna have to happen like right mm-hmm. away. Yeah, no, there's there's a jam packed um, to do list, um, and there are they're all heavy lifts. In their own respect, um, yeah. But what what we'll do? So, Don, how many how many tracks do you think you have on your on your list? Because I think I have about forty six. 
tracks or albums? Oh, I'm sorry, albums, not tracks. I'm I've sorry. got a, I've got about a hundred, like I yeah, always do. Yeah, so I think mine have been mine have been about half of that, roughly. Let's look at your or your first. Uh... Okay, first number ten. I have. I like the Kanye album. I know people didn't like mm-hmm. it. I like it. So that's number ten. I will say just Donda, for reference, Don does a twenty-one for me. What? It's twenty-one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, yeah. I'll, I'll just okay, say the reason for me for Don to be in. So you ended up pretty high too. I thought you'd have a lower. That's good, man. All right, good. I'm surprised. I, I, look, it's well, still Kanye, right? Um, he's still an incredible producer, and it's, it's great. It's just not strong, Kanye. Well, I, I agree. First of all, it's in the bottom half of Kanye's albums for sure. Okay, mm-hmm. but I think it's really great, and I, I mean, I listen to it a ton. Now, it's too long. You know, sure, probably should have been edited more, should have been curated a little better. But man, honestly, like I maybe should have even higher than 10. If I really think about if I were going to be objective, but like you said, it's tough to compare it to. For me, Yeezus is Kanye's best album, personally. OK, from when I compare it to Yeezus, I mean, it's not no comparison. Yeezus kills it. You know, it's not even close, yeah. but it's Donda is still worth it, especially if you if you can take out, I don't know, six or seven tracks. And then listen to it. I think it's a great album, you know. Uh, so that's my number ten. Uh, my Tyler the Creator, Call Me If You Get Lost, is number is number nine. Just like you added up, uh, pretty high. I'm guessing. Um, uh, Modu Mokhtar, number eight. Um, then I have Lorraine James, Reflection. I don't know if you've heard her. I just got this. She's like an electronic artist who samples hip hop and kind of mixes it together in an interesting electronic sort of abstract way. Her album called Reflection, like I really dig it, number seven. And then my number six is Micaiah McRaven's Deciphering the Message. And uh, that rounds out my 10 through six. My next five would be um, Smiling With No Teeth, uh, Genesis, um, Owusu, and this artist, uh, Don, this is... This is everything that I wanted from hip hop. Um, and I should have it higher, but the other ones were just that strong. Um, but this is the sound uh, is just this in your face grunge, if you will, almost like this punk grunge with this with the hip hop, um, you know, be in in um, in cadence. And so um, I just everything is weird um, there's a song called black dog and it just starts off black dog Dogs. he just keeps yelling that and then he jumps in with this almost um uh odb-esque kind of against the grand sound um and so i really enjoyed that album one of my favorite tracks of the year um, came from that album. Unfortunately, I think that number nine, Once Upon a Time uh, by Chica, it's an EP. Um, this uh, female hip-hop artist just uh, has another uh, track, um, Hickory Dickory, is also on the playlist that is just talking about her time. She's in this phase where she's kind of on this come up. Um, if I'm not mistaken, that she's been on some side stages at Coachella and a few other things. Um, and so just a fantastic EP. I actually started adding EPs to my list after last year talking to you and you said, yeah, you just, you, that you accept the project. And so sure. I didn't hold anything. If it's not long, that's good. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to encourage artists to put out albums that are too long. You know, I think you want to encourage them to put out like their best, their best shit, you know, yeah. give me 30 minutes of your best. I'm more into that than 80 minutes 
of eh, some stuff I didn't need, you know, so I want to definitely encourage EPs for sure. Absolutely. And so there's more on my list this year than ever. Um, but the self-titled um, album at number eight for Vince Stables was fun. It was great. It showed another. I, yeah. I felt like he was really just kind of he's been on um, on his on his level i mean he he's grinding he's feeling it he's feeling himself he's he's showing he's capable this album i think only shows that he's still growing um one number seven for me i had to listen to multiple times conflict of interest by guess gets um and uh i think it's i just slept on it um i heard it so early in the year and it just kind of shuffled in throughout my my list but uh guess can continues to to show um another uk um artist uh that i was describing earlier just continues to show his thoughtfulness and then number six um this is kind of just a great album by leon bridges number six gold digger sounds um just quintessential classic r&b i love to see that it's back i grew up on r&b and like around like the early 2000s people were like usher beyonce r&b don't get me wrong love beyonce usher's okay um but that's not exactly r&b right um i'm you know so for for me and so i love to see this album i I agree yeah i agree yeah and so i actually this summer um i I needed to get out i needed to get go you know somewhere so I, i went to a place where there are a bunch of people in COVID time, um, Los Angeles, and everything was fine. Uh, it was over the summer, but I did go to um, the Gold Digger um, uh, Club. I think it's called Club, oh. um, and um, and that's in um, LA. Well, that is actually one of my good friends. I look to have him on the on the show later this season uh, as a mixologist. He um, let me know that that place has a recording studio back behind the front. So the front of the house has the bar and the um, area where they have artists come in. And they also have a hotel connected to the gold oh, digger. Yeah. And so um, it is uh, just a full, full on spot. And there's actually, I think it's motorbike is um, the, the, the track, the music video that Leon Bridges has is the front of the gold digger. And um, I think, I think I'm saying it wrong. I think it's called gold digger. Um, people from LA, are gonna be, if they're listening, thanks for listening, um, are going to be upset. But anyways, it's the front hotel. So uh, and where they filmed it. And so actually that album is called that because he um, recorded that album there at Gold Digger. Great drinks when we were there. We actually sat down and uh, listened to, um, you know, for me, I don't see too much of this, but young black men um, who were playing this fusion jazz, this young, this like young sound, but this, you know, rooted in in true jazz uh, knowledge. And uh, they actually came by. We, we snuck in, we didn't sneak in, but we got in before they started doing cover and they came back and like, hey, you mind doing cover for the band? I think I paid like five ten dollars for cover these these guys were incredible they were worth a full price of admission i would have paid 20 or more it was great to be in la for that so it's really cool to have that experience um somewhat connected to that album but just a fantastic album he's coming to kansas city actually already sold out (laughs) so well, a couple things on your list. Uh, one, I I wholeheartedly agree with the Vince Staples. I think it's a great album. I'm glad we both have it up on our list. I think it's his best album, and I like I like mm-hmm. him, but I think this is by far his best album. Uh, I listen to it a lot. 
uh, I mean, heavy rotation. And uh, like, I'm looking forward to his next one. I really, before I thought he was a decent artist and now I'm putting him up a lot higher. I think this one showed a lot of, a lot of maturity and a lot of like potential to get better, which is for a guy who's been around as a while, that's a good sign. Um, And one one note on your jazz comment. um, I, I am also optimistic because if you think about, I mean, I'm, I'm really into jazz, but most of the jazz I listen to is from the early 60s to like the mid 70s, you know, and there was kind of a dark time, I would argue, starting in like the 80s and 90s for jazz and even the turn of the century, where now there are a lot of young black uh, artists making great jazz out of London. I mean, I have seen um, some great jazz in L- out of London at South by Southwest that makes me really happy for the future. You know, that they're making like real jazz now for the first time in a long time. Yeah. And I make I'm real happy about it. So like I said, like Micaiah McRaven's, Kamasi Washington, um, there's a whole ton of others too, but especially London's doing well. I know LA has a scene too, but I like seeing that as well. Like when you, when you were talking about that in LA, I was like, yeah, man, I've had that feeling too. Where like, it was so for a while, it's like, where is jazz? It's not mm-hmm. here. You know, like who, who's making jazz in 2003, you know, or who's making a jazz record in 1996, Kenny G. you know, I mean, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So like when I see these, when I see these young guys, like it really makes me happy. They're doing experimental, interesting, good work. Um, and they're moving a, a, an art form forward, which is the whole point. Yeah. Right. I mean, so many like, but you know, like rock and roll, listen, there's still some decent rock and roll, but what, what new is happening in rock and roll or indie rock or whatever, you know, it, it, it's sad. It's gone. You know, for the most part, there are some artists and I'm going to talk about, I have a couple indie rock albums in my top five. So it's still here. Yeah. I mean, it's still here and I'm not trying to say, you know, it's dead and buried, but my point is when I look at the jazz scene, especially out of like London, LA, Chicago, places like that, like it gives me hope for the future that they're really taking this art form and moving it forward where it had, it had just been dormant. It almost seemed for a while. Yeah, no, that's exactly how I feel about, uh, but what I was describing about Leon Bridges too, um, and sure, with the soul thing, yeah, yeah with the R and B, with, with the yeah, R and R and B and soul thing, uh, and this one hundred percent, you're seeing that because that's the other part about um, the mix, and I think that's um, if you don't mind, I'll, I want to hear yours, but I'll, I'll actually use this opportunity to go into my top five. Um, is some some of my favorite artists now, some of my younger artists now are artists who are going out and like, hey, I grew up on soul and R&B, but I also listened to some some rock sure. and some more punk years. And now as a young adult, I'm really starting to appreciate jazz. Let's do all of this. And um, one person, I'll, I'll talk about them later, is Tyler, the creator. Um, but at number five, I have um, Isaiah Rashad. He goes back into that and what you were talking about with Vince Staples shows maturity and growth. At number four, though, is my personal favorite uh, jazz musician of all time, John Coltrane. Talk about reissues. Uh, This is a reissue from 1965. Um, I listened to it. I didn't have it on my list because I didn't know where I wanted to put it. Um, I knew I wanted to put it towards the top, but I knew I needed to listen to it again. And this one is a Love Supreme live in Seattle. As a whole, I have a not a big fan of live albums, just kind of in general, except for jazz. <laughs> you know, that's my only exception. Yeah, yeah. I will listen and listen to it without any any thoughts. And this is a, this is a long album too. I mean, mm. but also I was thinking there. I was sitting there listening to it and thinking about 
how happy would I be if I like paid the price of admission, whatever that was, probably wasn't astronomical, but probably respectable for being John Coltrane. And you get that much. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, that, that was my number one album just to cut ahead. So we're talking the same language. Yeah. One of the one of the things to add to the recording. OK, normally I have a problem with live recordings in general. Um, even jazz, I think, has it's problematic. I'd rather have it in the studio done right. Like I mm-hmm. listen to Coltrane in the studio than live, uh, personally, because it just sounds better. But this album was miked in a really interesting way. The somehow the drums were heavily miked in this recording. I don't know if you picked up on it. Um, how like loud yeah. and like pro- prevalent the drums are. Um, now, when you have Elvin Jones, who may be the greatest jazz drummer of all time. That's not a problem, right? You can really hear how like he's a genius, you know. And this recording, to me, you know, I I own a I own all the Love Supreme box sets. I've heard that live in France, you know, I've had there's a live recording you can that's popular from France from '64. Same kind of set. This set I think is more interesting because of the drumming and that you can really mm-hmm. hear it. Most of those other live recordings, you can barely hear the drums. It's like the opposite. You know, well, when what makes it so special that I noticed at least is how dynamic the drums were. Yeah. Well, he's a he's a, you know, again, probably the greatest jazz drummer ever. So, you know, we kind of we probably don't even hear how great he was on most of the recordings, you know, and I think that that's one of the reasons I put it at the top. My number one album of the year is not only is John Coltrane probably, you know, the greatest artist, musical artist, in my opinion, of all time. Uh, but this recording gave me something that I had never been given by him before, which was a chance to listen to Elvin play that with, with that, that pronounced in the recording. I don't think they did this on purpose. You know, it just happened to be where they set the mics up. But it's also the first time Pharaoh Sanders played with Coltrane. And Pharaoh Sanders is one of my favorites, uh, jazz as well. All of I have all his albums, and I mean all of them, there's a lot. But he joined Coltrane's band. And this was his first time playing live with them. That's an interesting uh, thing about the album as well. So there's a lot of reasons to get the live in Seattle love Supreme, by the way. Okay. Enough on the Coltrane, but my other four that didn't quite make it. Um, it's a reissue from 75. Um, it's Halu Mergia. Who's an Ethiopian kind of like organist. And I really like Halu Mergia. I have all of his uh, albums. And um, one of the things that's interesting about this album is that um, it was recorded at the at the Hilton Hotel where they were like the house band. And this is in the capital of Ethiopia in 1975. Uh, There was a regime that was not real friendly to the public and they had imposed um, a curfew. So no one could be on the street between and I'm making these numbers up between like midnight and 6 a.m., something like that. And so what happened was everyone would go to the club at like. 1130, knowing they have to stay in the club all night because they can't leave. And because, you know, the curfew comes up at 6 a.m. So you go out knowing like I'm in for the night. And this was the house band who had to play all night. You know, like you had to play for six hours. These people are drinking, they're dancing. You know, you don't get to stop. Right. So anyway, this is a live recording from the actual Hilton, which I had heard their albums before. Um, but I'd never heard what their live sound was like. And it's very cool. Um, and it's called uh, Tezita, T-E-Z-E-T-A is the name of the album. It's Halu Mergia, and it's a 1975 reissue. I-, I love it. And if it weren't for the Coltrane thing, it might have been my favorite. Re- it was my favorite reissue of the year. Um, okay. 
but it's hard to get, you know, John Coltrane is John Coltrane. So what am I? Yeah. Um, I also had the Sons of Kemet album, uh, Black to the Future in there, because I think, uh, you know, that's a great album. And I know you probably I think you had you talked about it already or you're going to. Um, that's a great, again, young jazz band that's making good, new, fresh music now. Um I've seen Sons of Kemet. They're excellent. I've also seen Comet is coming. I believe the guys in the same band. Um, and anyway, so those are my that, that I also had a, a indie rock album called Dry Cleaning. Uh, it's my favorite indie rock album of the year. It's my second favorite album of the year. It's called New Long Leg. And it's a very cool, stylish, sort of post-punk sounding, uh, but they're fresh at the same time, even though they have like a post-punk thing going on. The lyricist kind of talks to you. Most of the album doesn't really sing. And it's a really, I really dig it. So like I said, while while indie rock is kind of, faltering and sort of in a sad way, not growing. I think this dry cleaning album, uh, I know it shows some promise for the future of indie rock. And I also uh, was into this Swedish uh, artist called Veek, V-E-I-K. He put out an album called Surrounding Structures. Uh, And it it was one of the the most interesting uh, rock kind of experimental proggy albums I've heard in a while. It combines like kraut rock, it combines post-punk. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot going on in this Swedish guy's album, and I highly recommend uh, "Surrounding Structures" by Veek. So that rounded out my top five. Um, this this new electronic rock sound, mm-hmm. um, and, and somebody actually this is perfect segue into my top three to round those out. Uh, at number three, I have "Yellow" by uh, Emma Jean Thackeray. <laughs> and um and she is um or, yeah um she's actually this is her debut album um she's an english band leader and producer um and this album actually um what i really loved about it is got a baseline of jazz but she um adds on a brass band sound um that kind of gives this psychedelic feel to it so it's very um it's, gra- it's rooted in jazz, like I said, but it's just very free form, if you will. Uh, and like I said, this was her first album that she put out. Favorite album of the year, like you mentioned, Sons of Kemet. And the, this album for me was what I needed. It's Black to the Future, what I needed in 2020. Yeah, um, yeah. But what I didn't realize I was looking for my whole life. Yeah. Um, and cool. they, they are, we just see with Sons of Kim and they go back to these roots of, uh, of West African uh, descent uh, in, the, in their jazz. And it's, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. They actually have, um, they actually have one of my favorite UK hip hop artists, um, uh, Koji Radical on one of their albums or one of their tracks and it sounds fantastic but the track that i wanted to put on there uh as my number one was a uh, field negus and um n-e-g-u-s sound familiar in the song n-e-g-u-s um <laughs> and um you know it really it's it's an incredible um spoken word um and it is performed by joshua Eden and so um one one thing that I think um is really encapsulates the whole whole invocation is is one phrase where it says I am a field and negro I am a field negro now I do not want your equality it was never yours to give me and even then it was too minor too little too late yeah I was like whoa yeah all right I like yeah that's how they started the album yeah well 
I also, like I said, now that's it's Shabaka um, Hutchings. Is that his name? Hutchings, I believe, is the yeah. Sons of Kemet guy. He's also in two other bands. Yeah. And I've seen two of the three bands play live. Um, the Comet is Coming is one. Uh, which I saw at South by they blew me away. And then Shabaka and the ancestors is this other band he's in. Um, and I, I think, like I said, when I talk about he's he's out of London as well, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's like I said, this jazz scene in London, you know, is really something that I think people are sleeping on, at least over here. I don't think they're sleeping on it over across the pond, but they're sleeping on it here. And uh, the sons of Kemet album is spectacular and if you if you like jazz and if you like uh avant-garde music i think you have to listen to it i mean you, i would spin it several times and really get into the feel of this album because uh he's for real you know he's like a yeah. real fucking artist and there aren't many people like him he guys i mean he's in three of the best jazz bands now and they're all legit sound different they're excellent all in their own right he's for real so I'm anything he puts out, I'm there, you know, for sure. For sure. No, I, I love it. Uh, you know, if I was an artist, a hip hop artist, jazz artist or anything close to that, uh, I would be trying to get my way over to the UK to, to London. Yeah. Um, and the number my number one album uh, to, to put a bow on the on the music talk is uh, is calling if you get lost. Uh, this album, I think he grew in his uh, musical capabilities as well. I think it's a great album. I had it in my top uh, 15 as well. Um, my only, you know, I've seen him live, and my only problem is I like his studio albums, but I did not like his live show. Um, and so, I haven't seen. He's supposed to be coming through Kansas City. I said supposed to Corona I, uh, in February, so I'm gonna go check it out. See it. I'll let you know. I'll report back. Was, yeah, I, I saw him. I saw him play in Vegas, actually, which is weird to think about. Um, and I was with some buddies, you know, and uh, man, like, listen, like, it sounded like shit. He did not care at all. Like you could, maybe it was just not his night. You know what I mean? That happens to people. Um, but I was not impressed with his live show, but I think his albums are great. And his new album is better. Is his best album. Like you said, Yeah. and his album before was great. You know, I mean, so he, he's doing, he's a great artist. I'm glad he's uh, producing uh, interesting new albums. I just, maybe, maybe I'll see him again and I'll turn it, he'll turn it around. But that live show was pretty terrible, man. <laughs> like, And again, like everyone has a bad night too, right? Maybe the yeah. venue didn't treat him right. Maybe, you know, lots of things were, it could have been not his fault. It sounded like shit, you know, all maybe uh, lots of. Things. Yes. No, I mean, it could have been Aquafina when really he, he was looking for Voss. Yeah, like exactly. these, these are very important things for your night. Yeah. When performing so Uh, speaking about performances um the ultimate performance of people's careers i think are popping up here um and uh i like i mentioned uh, don first off let me just stop and say thanks for sharing your list with us uh and um anybody wants to check out the z list 2021 can check it out on uh, Spotify. And uh, I had kind of mentioned that there are a lot of people looking for higher office. Don, just I want to know what you expect out of the year. Right. And what are some of the I, I'll split this into two phase in two spaces. What do you think is some of the most important work before the legislature this coming year? And then what does the legislature think is the most important work? OK, that's a great way to put it, Zach. Um, you, I could, you, know, you could tell you work there. That's the best question that how to ask the question. That's great. Um. Yeah, I mean, man, it's, it's yes. <laughs> but part of that, let me let me set the stage and add some context, uh, context for anybody listening, um, that the Missouri Independent has uh, reported that there are more senators 
that uh, than any cycle in modern history that are running for higher office or are considering to do so. And that starts uh, chiefly with the president pro tem, David Schatz. Uh, he's looking to run for that open U.S. Senate seat um, that will be vacated with the retirement of Roy Blunt. Um, and so that seat is up. Uh, primary in August and the general election in November. We have um, a bunch of people uh, running for Congress uh, to be a member of the House. We have Mike Moon, Eric Burleson um, out of the Senate looking to run for the same seat. Rick Bratton and Denny Hoskins looking to run for the same seat. Um, possibly Hoskins, the fourth seat, the fourth congressional seat. Um, and for anybody that's listening, that's on the Missouri, that's on the west side of Missouri. You're looking at Mike Moon and Eric uh, Burleson kind of representing the Springfield area. Um, and uh, Denny Hoskins having the Vicki Harsler seat or and Rick Bratton running for the Vicki Harsler seat, presuming she's running for Senate. Um, then we have Bob Onder from St. Charles looking to run for a county executive. Steve Roberts on the St. Louis side with a possible run for the first congressional. Yeah, yeah. Same thing with Brian Williams. Um, so that's just in the Senate. Yeah. People looking for. We only have 34 senators. There's only 34. And I just named off what? Too many. Seven, Too eight. Many. Yeah. 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 Look on the House side, and I'll stop with this. Um, we, there's uh, even more. This is where you get your crop of candidates from. It is crazy. But the House Speaker, Rob Vescovo, destroyed any chance that I had at the one bill that I had significant uh, authorship on. So close I, to getting I remember it that. That was, that was painful, man. Oh man, it was. I had to learn, but it was. It was so upset. Anyways, he's looking to run for state senate, most likely. Uh, Speaker Pro Tem uh, John Weeman is looking to run for senate, state senate. All these people are looking to run for uh, either state senate or statewide office, and then you have. Um, Tony Luptemeyer, uh is being clocked as somebody to run for AG. Uh, Caleb Rowden, both of these are state senators, uh, are clocked to uh, looking for statewide office. Bill Eigel yep. uh, and Holly Reeder as well. Everybody's looking for an office. Um, that's not the one that they're currently in. Done. Um, what, before we turn to those two questions, what's important and what do they think is important? What is What's happening as we go into this election season that most people don't might not see with their state legislature? Okay, first what, of all, what, is this normal? No, 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 this is not normal. This is uh, this is going to be insane. And it's always, as you know, Zach, it's always crazy down there. Right. But this is going to be next level and it's going to be really fast. And I think the difference this time is that normally session starts pretty slowly and then we ramp up to a terrible finish, you know, or whatever. But in this case, we have to get the congressional maps drawn yesterday. So now you have a situation where the, think about what we just talked about. We have an a, election in November, a general. We have a primary election, which is where most of the action is in August. The filing window statutorily is end of February to end of March. But we don't even have the maps done. So how do you even know which district to run for. You don't even know where the fourth district's going to be. You don't know if Denny Hoskins is in what district or if Rick Bratton's in this other. So people right now don't even know the district that they have to run for. So we need to pass the maps. And because we're doing it so late and they're going to, it's going to have to have an emergency clause to become effective. Well, and so emergency clause being whenever it happens, it happens okay, so instantaneous. If you, pass a, right? if you pass a bill in regular session, 
without an emergency clause, it becomes law August 28th. Well, if we pass this map and it becomes good August 28th, that's way too late. Emergency clauses take two thirds to, to, on each chamber to pass. So unless we can get an emergency clause, we're not doing anything, right? I mean, the map- What's the exist. likelihood that since the legislature would have a challenge, challenging time getting to yes, we'll put it that way. What's the likelihood this gets to uh, the other part, uh, the other branch of the, of the um, government and just gets decided in the courts? It's a good chance. It's always a good chance, right? I mean, in this case, especially because we've waited so long, uh, the governor did not call a special session, which most people thought he would do. Um, Is there an advantage, strategic advantage that you can dream of for somebody somewhere that not to do that, not to call a special sure. session to get this done? You, when you when you put pressure on people, you get you know, you have to act sooner. One, two, getting an emergency clause. If you if you thought this through and I'm not sure it was thought through, please don't. I don't want to don't overread uh, into what people are doing. I've learned that. But if there was a strategic advantages, now it takes two thirds to pass a map. And we're going to probably get a less crazy map if you need two thirds of the of the senators and reps instead of a half. So maybe you're going to get a map. Maybe they really wanted this. Uh, this one, the uh, six-two map, and this way, they're, that the the two-thirds is going to make that happen. Maybe that's the way they're thinking. I don't know. Um, but regardless, we have to do something quickly, and with an emergency clause, as you know, Zach. Like most of the time, we're not doing much the first four weeks of session. Now we're going to have to get this done in the first four weeks. On top of it, you remember, you know, every appointment that the governor has made in the interim has to be approved within thirty days of session starting. You have a lot of people on that list who are interesting. We won't go into that. Um, also, remember, the court just ruled that the state has to fund Medicaid expansion, mm -hmm. which the Republicans have not wanted to do. Well, the courts now said you have to do it. Well, we didn't put it in our budget. So now we have to run a supplemental and get that done right away. And that's before working on and completing the budget for Yo, this yeah, year. That, that, that's the first, we're talking like first couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, normally the first couple of weeks, we're not doing anything, you know, except for those appointments, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but okay. So that's the beginning, right? So th th that's what makes this one so different just from the start. You, as you've mentioned before, all the people running for higher office, doing whatever they can do to get whatever attention they can get. That doesn't bode well for anything no good happening. Right. Uh, on both sides, you know, and the, uh, so you have this kind of dynamic where we have to get real stuff done. All these people running for higher office and not only are they getting attention, they're gone. They're out. They're out fundraising and they're out campaigning. So not, they're not even there or if they're there, they're trying to get on TV, you know, or get their get you know their social media up or whatever. Uh, and what's the best way to do that, of course? To, to get attention, right? Crazy and things. some of this, yeah. Looking at one thing that I think folks can uh, do that is really easy 
is uh, after the 1st of December uh, to go to uh, the state houses, uh, the House and the Senate's website separately and look at the pre-filed bills. These are the, you can file a bill uh, up until a certain point in the session, but you can file a bill whenever um, and pre-file and just like your first set of priorities, what you really want to get done. Uh, This is what I learned, right? You can, you get your first batch, if you will, and then you get your second batch because your first batch has a higher number on it and it gets, you know, in theory cycled uh, through the system sooner. I took a look at those, Don, and I'm looking at the Senate. I have I, <laughs> I've read all to them. your point about getting um people's attention yeah. on social media and whatnot yeah. and out in public and your fundraising. I've seen anti uh critical race theory, oh, which yeah, that's Don that's a whole other conversation. Um I've seen uh language that has a re that establishes a recall election procedure for school board members. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, something that's hyper localized where the state wants to anyways. Um, and then there's a repeal a repealing of the absentee and mail-in voting changes oh. that happened whenever we got into this COVID mess, which apparently as of December 31st, 2021, is no longer uh, a state of emergency in the state of Missouri. So it was a good thing it's 2022 in January and we're over this. <laughs> um, one other thing too. Hey, first of all, there's a ton of critical race theory bills. Um, they're all different. And I don't know if you actually read the differences between them. Uh, mm-hmm. They're pretty painful to read, but my favorite one says that you cannot, as a teacher of history, it specifically says history teachers have to portray the United States of America in a positive light. Now, I mean, of all the things that I, I mean, of all the un-American things you can do, the fact that we you have to only say good things about the government and you can yeah. never say a bad thing about the if, if there is anything more un-American than that, I want to know what it is. You know, I mean, I, I, it's so funny to me, the, the folks that are advocating for this, as I was reading that, I was, but these are the same folks, too. Right. That um, if something similar yet very different was happening would be would be saying exactly what you're saying now, this is un-american activity mm-hmm. and da, 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 we can't do that we can't you people over there can't let that happen <laughs> exactly. the, the fact that they they don't realize that they're doing it or they don't care one or the other yeah, they all hate uh, is disingenuous they all talk about how terrible yeah. china is i bet you china has this policy where you can't say anything bad about the government and high school history no kidding you know what i'm so i mean again these are the kind of things and this is just one of the bills there's a ton of let's, let's just clarify it, that CRT has no judgments being made. It's just like, oh, hey, here's history that by and large has not been published and, and widely distributed. Oh, there's there's no like America's awful. It's just, hey, here's the history of it. Well, you make your judgment about there. how there are uh, there are structural things in place that. It's, yes. and, and again, that's if you look around, it's pretty evident. But here's the great thing is that even if you care about this, this is not being taught in K-12. This is a higher ed graduate school type level of thing that's taught. There are no K-12 districts teaching critical race theory, but yet all these bills are targeted at K-12, right? And to to stop something that isn't being taught, but then it isn't just critical race theory. It's have to say only good things about the government. Can't say anything that makes people feel uncomfortable. you know, yeah, no, and on the comfortability, I read is uh, you can't teach anything that's that suggests that things intentionally make people uh, put people in different parts or yes. of the society or put them in different classes, and and I'm sorry, but that's. That's quite literally what happened, and, that, and the thing is, it's not just in America. That's what happened throughout the whole world. But 
these are things that it seems the legislature find more important. I saw a lot of election sure. uh, bills, bills pertaining pertaining to elections. We have this state uh, se- secretary of state um, who I, I understand uh, have read speculation that he wants to be governor. Yeah. Um, say that we have the most secure elections ever, but they're questionable. We have to purge. We have to purge voter rolls, especially if and we're of seeing color. people in the legislature yeah. follow yeah. suit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Voter ID that does that have legs that impact this election? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, these people are running for office. You're going to how are you going to beat that? You know, they so but I guess back to your initial question, which I thought was very good, is you, you asked, like, what are, what is the most important thing? And then, you know, what, what, what are they really doing like this critical race theory? But the most important thing I don't think anyone's talked about is that the state of Missouri has a ton of money. I don't know if you know how much we're sitting on right now, but because of all the stimulus, because of the lots of reasons we, and because we've cut tax, we've not only cut taxes, but we've cut spending. We haven't funded education properly. All these things, we are sitting at a almost $3 billion pot of money. Now, the state of Missouri's general revenue budget, that means our money we can normally spend, right? Not not federal money, but our general revenue budget is typically $9 billion a year. We're sitting on $3 billion. We don't have any, we can spend it any way we want, no plans on how to spend it. So when you say what's the most important thing, I would argue how we spend this $3 billion. Think about what we could or could not do. You know what I'm saying with this money? For those who realize that money is there, what do people think they want? What's the conversation? But there isn't. That's the problem. Now, the, my people know what we want to spend our, the money on. Sure. We're in a minority in the Senate and the House. Yeah. So, but I mean, what would the minority in the, in the Senate and in the House think would be best well, with this money? The first money? thing we do is we have chronically underfunded our education system in Missouri. Um, we have especially underfunded what it costs to educate a child in poverty. And we have a lot of poor people in the state and they're not just people in the cities. You know, we've got a lot of poor people that we don't fund their education properly. We have a poverty weight that is like, it's just not, it's not enough. We would take, we would take this money, not all of it, some of it to actually help pay for poor, to to educate poor kids in the state. We would do, we want to expand early childhood to everyone in this state. These are things we can do with this money. That could have a real impact on people's lives, making sure that, you know, as now, when you look at test scores correlate to poverty, if you want to look at a district's test scores, look at how poor or rich they are. That don't tell you their test scores without looking at the test score. What does that tell you? You know, my, my, my point is we can do things with the money. We could invest in higher education, which we've continually defunded in this state. There are things we can do to make our state a better place for a lot of people to live include Republicans and Democrats. And this $3 billion we have sitting around could do a lot of good things if spent smartly. You know, I'm afraid it's going to get spent and it's not going to get spent wisely and it's going to be uh, squandered. You know, that's what I'm. And so I don't hear any. Have you heard anyone talk about this $3 billion that's just sitting around? I haven't seen a single headline about it. And and I'll just back up and say, Don, um, looking at that $3 billion, 
to your point, though, that's you're, those are people that are in the weeds and the details. And so I really appreciate somebody who can see it um, that is right there. You know, I, was, I sat in those uh, budget hearings and just listened to them talk about cut this, cut that indiscriminately. Uh-huh. And so to your point now, um, it, it is worrisome potentially, or rather there could be um, reason to worry to watch how the people who indiscriminately cut might dream up ways to um, indiscriminately uh, spend for their own gain because the cut sure. was part of their was part of their campaign strategy, right? Was part of their promise and what they were doing. Uh, and I hate to be this person because I agree with somebody that once said they always tell us this election matters, um, but I would say every election matters for different reasons. And this election cycle, in particular, matters because yeah, we have this money that needs to be spent from the federal government, and as we're learning from the state government, but we're in a position where we can make some smart investments like early childhood education that raises poverty levels across the uh the state pretty quickly um and i say relatively quickly when we're talking about government these things take years and they're oh, let's say and you know they, the republicans and which is fine i get it they want to cut taxes great uh there are responsible ways to cut taxes as well mm-hmm. the democrats last session got an earned income tax credit passed which means it's a tax cut for the working poor, people who work and people who are still poor, even though they work. Mm-hmm. To me, if you're going to cut someone's taxes, how is that not the first person whose taxes you want to cut? So we got we got one done. We can expand that, though, if we you know, if they really want to cut taxes, there are ways to do it that can help society and help the people who really need it the most. And so there are different things you can do with this money. And I'm not saying it has to be our way, you know, but just doing something smart to help move the state forward. Yes. And not just sort of, uh, and so I think that's the main thing that we have so much money, but yet we're talking about critical race theory, which isn't even taught in K-12. That's all you're hearing about, but we're not talking about the real issue. And and if you want to do something with that money, you want that shiny other object over there to get everyone's attention. You know, let's everyone fight about critical race theory while I, you know, do something with this $3 billion where you're not looking. Um, So anyway, that to me, the main thing is that, you know, that we have all this cash, no one's talking about, we've got to do something, we should do something. Um, And yet we're going to talk about wedge issues, we're going to talk about, you know, critical race theory. We're going to talk about abortion, you know. Um, but anyway, that's what we're talking about. Instead of talking about. And like, that's going to get more you know, traction than some of the other bills that I've seen. Of course. Of course. You know, that's what that's what these. And again, like you said, with these people running for office, too. Right. You know, so like, again, how do you get attention? That kind of stuff. So that, that's what I would look for in this upcoming session. But I, I, if you really want to know, pay attention to the money. That, that's what I always like to do is keep asking what's happening with the money. But Who's yeah, spending the money? Who's getting that's, the, money? That's the, story, right? the money? Yeah. yeah. Don't take your eye story. off the money, you know? So um, that's the real question is how do, what do they do with all this, um, this just crazy amount of money we have. And it's a great opportunity. Missouri has never, I've been in the Senate for over 20 years. I have never seen anything close to this. It's always like, you remember, we don't have any money because we cut taxes and we, you know, we have to cut spending. I mean, that's been the whole thing. Yeah. And now yeah. we actually have money and it's, it's, free, it's money we can spend on anything we want. And plus we have all this extra um, road money and infrastructure money. That's a separate pot. Not even that, that isn't part of the 3 billion I'm talking about. That's a separate thing. That, okay? So there's part of me as an old staff person wants to be there and yeah. actually go to those, uh, those budget hearings and those, man, those, 
if anybody's ever been in a budget hearing at eight in the morning yeah. where we're talking about full-time employees and yeah. spending over X, Y, and Z and debt, I just... <sighs> I know, man. I know. I remember, Don, you said to me, you were like, hey, he's thinking about joining that, joining um, the budget committee. I told him not to. You told him not to for how much work, but one thing you did say when you were playing poker, you were like, that's a terrible idea for him, terrible for you, but kind of good for you as well. And you were right. I learned yeah, yeah. I, I learned learn so much. Yeah. Oh, my it, goodness. It, yeah, man, you learn a lot. And so, like, that's why you want to be doing that. It was when you sit there just through osmosis, you pick up on so much of how the state government functions. Absolutely. Um, and how it interacts with other entities. Yeah. So I would love yeah. to be there. With yeah. a $3 billion piggy bank for them to choose from. But at the same time, I know I would bang my head against the wall to watch the decisions being made. Yeah, man. It's going to be great. I love it, as you know. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> I love the place. I think the Missouri Senate's a great place. And honestly, I mean this sincerely, too. Um, if you're if you're ever around Jeff City and the session's in, go and sit and watch the Senate. It is for real. Like, it's not like the U.S. Senate. Where like in the U.S. Senate, if you don't like something, you don't even have to filibuster it. You just say you're going to filibuster it. Right. In the Missouri Senate, you have to stand there and you have to filibuster on your feet, as you know, Mm -hmm. you know, and that shit is awesome. When you see it in action, it makes you happy. You know, that this person. It is. And people have to do real you parliamentary notes, stuff. You got notes being passed to this senator who's yeah. inquiring the person who's filibustering. Yeah. And it's, it's really fun. Yeah. It's fun. Right. And, and I'm so glad that I had an opportunity to see that. Don, you talked about this on, on the first time around the show. You came from a position where you were non, you weren't political at all. So you had, a, you had to work with both sides, all sides, because you yeah. were coming from the entities research space. But anyways, all this is a long way of saying you have one of the best jobs uh, in Missouri politics and, and policy making i would have loved to have stayed there if jeff city wasn't so far away from kansas city oh, i get it man. Um, so, i live in columbia so columbia is close enough i couldn't live in jeff city but columbia yeah. is good enough uh man. but on that note don I, I appreciate you again for uh jumping on uh this actually's podcast man. zsp this was fun um and uh, i think what i'll try to do don if you don't mind i'll just pu- uh publish your full list along with my full list send so, it to you. i gotta i'll update it and send it to you what are you doing on uh january 1 2023 uh, hopefully this. All right. All right. All right. Perfect. I can see that. So right on, man. Hey, Zach, thanks for having me. It's always Absolutely, good, man. Absolutely, man. I appreciate yeah. you. Many thanks to Don. I always enjoy talking to Don and his very straightforward perspective, informed, straightforward perspective. That and he is responsible, really, honestly, to exposing me to at a minimum five albums a year. Uh, I can always count on Don for showing me some good stuff. And uh, but but anyways, my my favorite track of the year is actually something I did find on my own. I will say, um, but with my favorite track of the year, uh, this is usually the one song I played over and over, sometimes back to back. And uh, more more than that, though, this is the song that has really connected with something inside of me. And uh, it's oftentimes the energy that I hope to reflect in the next year. I talked about her during the show, and I actually think I butchered her name. Um, so I'll get a second chance here. But her album was actually third overall on my list. And I have yet to get tired of imaging Thackeray's 
say something. NPR journalist Brian Burns actually wrote the multi-instrumentalist and producer Emma Jean Thackeray's Don't Just Speak, Say Something serves as a mantra in Say Something, which opens with a minimal drum and keyboard riff that eventually morphs into a house beat. Open your eyes Before you open your mouth Stick out your tongue And let me look inside I want to find Find What's down your throat Open your heart To open up your mind That beat escalates to a chaotic fusion of the song's prior elements, a buildup and payoff that reflects the lyrics' insistence on opening one's mind and connecting with something metaphysical. Coming into another year, one sure to be full of campaign ads and social media hashtags showing one support, I appreciate the reminder not just to speak actually reminds me of a campaign poster in the Truman Library just over in Independence, Missouri. And it says, freedom of speech doesn't mean careless talk. It was really, really interesting from his from his campaign. But when I need to speak, let me say something worth sharing. This pod admittedly came late because I wasn't sure what I wanted to say with this season. I couldn't just have a show. Too much time goes into putting this together. So I appreciate you for joining me uh, for a second season of ZSP. I can't wait to share what uh, I plan have in store here. Um, And... Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please share with others, post it on social media, or leave a rating and review. I've never asked for anybody to do that, so please do that. Uh, To catch the latest from the show, you can always follow the show, uh, the Zach Sweets Podcast, on Instagram. Thanks again. I'll see you next time.